The show goes on! Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Sound good? This is my home! Boy, have you lost your mind on how they'll find it? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to 90.3 WRST-FM Oshkosh. This is Strip to Screen. I'm your host, Max, and joining me here in the booth is Gideon. What's up? And today we're going to be talking about one of the biggest movies that came out over the summer, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. The newest and probably last Tarantino movie to ever be made. Second to last. Second to last? Purportedly, yeah. I thought he was at his, like, nine limit or... He said ten, and he's at, and this was his ninth. Okay, so then, yeah, he's got one more still, but yeah. uh, pretty much the end of his career, yeah. but I like that. I like his philosophy of, you know, kind of leaving the audience wanting more. Yeah. It's a great way I mean, to be as an kind artist. Of, kind of has that idea almost built into it, which is one of the things that I love so much about it is it's like about endings and stuff. Yep. And it's just, oh, man. It's kind of the a The end long... of a career, basically, like the yeah. end of careers or and the beginning of new things, like it's just all yeah. built into it, and he's really... It kind of feels a little bit like Inglorious too, because this one ended up being a kind of an alternate history, alternate take on history. Well, yeah, and through... Django Unchained too, sort of in, a, in another way. In a, in yeah, a... but I mean, Django, less, everybody's less a made-up less character. Less explicitly, because like yeah. in Inglorious and this, it's about actual like events with actual people involved. Yeah, that's what I. That's fam- that was my point. Famously or yes. infamously involved, whereas Django Unchained, it's like just. It's, general it's, slave masters who who were people that but it's you know like we, there are no like really famous slave masters yeah no in, but in, it was it was just a, a a take on that time period mm-hmm. but whereas inglorious and this is more of an alternate history through yeah. how tarantino would have told it right so and that's and that's the once upon a time yep once upon a time in hollywood great title by the way i love the once upon a time in hollywood it's fantastic so I think it's playing off like the Once Upon a Time in the West yep. and Once Upon a Time in America, like those mm-hmm. types of titles too. Absolutely. Which is interesting. I have I need to see Once Upon a Time in the West. I have not seen it yet. Um, but that's definitely on my watch list. Yeah. Um, considered one of the greatest westerns ever. I just watched Stagecoach, mm-hmm. which is also considered one of the greatest westerns ever. And this kind of has some of those western elements to it also. Like I wouldn't call it a western, but it's still kind of is in that it still plays with those ideas and i mean it's part like, of it i guess you could say is a little bit western because it takes place on a western set right you well know? no that's what i'm talking like that yeah. that part of it and then not his 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 cowboy character is jake cahill but i can't remember his actual character on bounty law like <laughs> i love law. that i love oh i want to watch all, all so great i mean Dude, i, I want to watch dalton rick dalton plays yeah. jake cahill I, it's so weird that I remembered his character name, but not his actual like the, yeah. the character's character name, yeah. but not the actual character. <laughs> I I want to actually somehow get all of Bounty Law, like all the seasons, because I feel like it's kind of like a Gunsmoke stand-in. Well, he almost, said that but... he wrote them. He Tarantino said that he actually wrote out like ten episodes of Bounty, of Bounty Law. Law. Yeah, he probably that that rolling with it. He loved the idea. I would love to read those. Well, he just he just writes. A ton of material like for inglorious like he said that especially like the di- the the scene in the basement mm-hmm. where like he said that yeah. initially that was supposed to be like a maybe five ten minute segment but he just kept writing it kept working and working and working so he just built it out to yeah be, it's like, a long to scene be like, i mean that scene that movie what i love so much about that movie is it's basically five scenes mm. 
five scenes stretched out to be I think it's five, five stretched out to be an entire movie and each they're like like there's nothing that happens outside of those scenes really mm. yeah very very which little. is a fascinating structural way to structure a movie yeah I've never like that he, I mean he's just really interesting at at structuring the way he structures movies is always interesting but like here there is one way like the way he structures a certain uh exchange was so like new to me like it, it was a new way of it's a new type of flashback almost because the flashback itself was a joke like the flashback ends and i started laughing out loud was the was how jarring and how funny it was to me which when he's when brad pitt's on the roof i'm trying to remember how what his just, flashback just that, was i okay, so, the only thing so i remember brad, about him so, on the roof was him getting up to the roof dude he because gets up on the roof. Was, he takes off his shirt and he is ripped like he's, he's, he's always like ripped 50 he's 50 years old and he still looks fantastic but then like margot robbie is up in the um sharon tate is up in the is up in the room and she and she's like oh was that like the flashback she, so she's dancing and yeah. then like he kind of looks up at her and kind of sees her but they don't really interact like i mm-hmm. thought in the first time that it's, sharon tate and cliff booth were gonna interact yeah. with each other yeah but they didn't mm. yeah and not he's really sitting up there just thinking back to like to why he can't be on the film set right now Mm. Oh, and so then they go to the right. whole thing with him and Bruce Lee, and like the whole that yeah. whole big. It's like yeah. a 10, 15 minute section of while he's on the roof, and then we go back to him on the roof. He's like, "Hmm, I guess that makes sense." Yeah, <laughs> which is the punchline to the joke. Yeah. Um. So let's give the audience here a little synopsis of what the movie's about. Yeah. Um, so you have these two guys, Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth, and they are Rick Dalton is the this actor who in this 50s and 60s era like he was mostly a western actor kind of along the lines of uh, uh what's his name we did. Clint Eastwood well was was one of the ones that was modeled after him a whole bunch though a I whole mean, bunch of things that that would do after. westerns you know every, but he, his, every week his, and... his character is very similar to Clint Eastwood especially in like the spaghetti western oh, yeah that he does at the end of the movie yeah true um which but is he, a, which is another meta joke that happens. There's, I mean, there's just which is, this movie's just so clever. Right? Yeah, it's it's great. But uh, so he he did this show called Bounty Law for a number of years, and uh, Cliff Booth was his stunt double. And I guess in a way that I I've never thought of it before, but I guess Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio do look enough alike where it works because. I mean, you see him side by side when they dress the same, hairs the same. Right. It, yeah. It, I I believe it that he no, could be I, a stunt I, double. No, I totally but... bought it. But but another one of the jokes is that why is Brad Pitt so handsome, but he's playing a stunt <laughs> double? Yeah. <laughs> Which you go into the movie thinking like, what's like that is kind of off putting a little bit, but then they make it into a joke yeah. and it's all hilarious. It's just great. Yeah. So, meanwhile, Leonardo DiCaprio's character is coming to grips with the fact that he's kind of a has been, yep. and he's reaching the end of his star- his career. As a major star in Hollywood, which, as far as I'm aware, is what happened with Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. Like when he was a, well, he brought it back TV a star. Bit, but say, then he but came, yeah. but then he got into spaghetti westerns, yeah. and that's what brought him back. Yep. Um, but with uh, Rick Dalton, it's it's interesting. So he, yeah, he's having to deal with that. He's kind of almost going through like a midlife, mid-life crisis sort of thing. Meanwhile, Brad Pitt character uh, is is still hanging out with him because he seems to be really his only best yeah. friend. And um, he's also his driver and his, his driver, mechanic, and yeah, he does like everything, does everything for him. He he makes his life kind of run, and, and he's th- their going friendship around. Friendship is so fascinating. Yeah, it's they're interesting. Just, they're like best buddies. Yeah, in like the weirdest way possible, and I love it. Yeah, it's it's a great dynamic. I love that too. It was that was a really well written part of it. 
as I think as, the way Tar- Tarantino said the way he wrote it mm-hmm. was that he kind of developed their friendship like before and after the movie mm-hmm. starts and ends, you know, and so he kind of has an idea of like their entire lifespan basically. Like he has yep. developed them into like full characters. Like he has as much stat more stats on them in his head than you can find on any individual given actor in real life. And and so and basically he just decided like this is the most interesting part of their story that but he has like, their entire lives in his head. Yep. And and that attention to detail that he has visually is right. it shows. Yeah. It shows. He even though all that extra stuff really isn't shown that much. It it definitely comes it out. It comes out. Yep. You 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 feel it in the characters. You feel that they these characters have a past and they have they have life experiences and like they they are they feel like real people even though they can be like some somewhat absurd at times. Yeah. Like the like the times where Rick Dalton breaks down. Yeah. Are so funny and so absurd, but they make so much sense for the character at the same time. Yeah, it it does. It really shows off how good of a writer Tarantino is. And there's a lot. I mean, just genuine rules of writing. I always think of when I when I'm trying to write something. Uh, there was a piece of advice I heard by, believe it or not, uh, uh, the creators of South Park. What is their name? Trey Trey, Trey, Trey Parker, Parker and Matt, Matt Stone. Stone. Yeah. Uh, they said like. just look at each thing is does this movement in the story make sense or is it totally random but if it if it makes sense then that means the flow is going well and this leads to this leads to this leads to this that's the best way to write because then it's most natural for not only the writing and it makes it easy to continue writing but it also works best for the audience that's true but there's also there also there's there's two different types of of stories mm -hmm. or there there are more there are i think there's different types of stories where where sometimes in its yeah. in a certain story that does make sense, mm-hmm. but in other stories, there th- is there are times where you do say this is it's I think what's it's I think it's called anti plot. Yeah, well, so I'm where, I'm just saying like ninety percent of the time, right? You most want most stories name. are arc. I think it's called arc plot, where it's like this mm-hmm. happens, and because this happens, this happens. So it's a sen- like, but like anti plot is like the opposite of that. So yeah. it's like something happens, so he doesn't necessarily have to follow after that. Yeah, but I mean, like that's uh, that's a, an idea that uh, Robert McKee. Um, introduced to me but uh yeah so i just felt like everything kind of flowed really nicely with this story yeah um, even though it's somewhat haphazard yeah because it's not it's it's i think this this leans towards anti-plot more than most movies do because it's not a cause and effect sort of thing it's not it's not it doesn't have a we have to get to this to beat the bad guys sort of thing it's there's no mcguffins there's no like if we get like an end game, it's like we know what we have to accomplish to beat Thanos. Mm-hmm. We have to get all the time stone, the all the Infinity Stones, bring them back, and then like bring everybody yep. out. Bring everybody like that's a clear goal. There's no real clear goal here. Yeah. But, and even in like a typical like biopic or like something that's based on real life, yeah, there, they, it still does follow that general sequence of events. Whereas it doesn't necessarily do that so much here. You're right. There isn't so much of a clear goal, but I still feel like the story flows naturally. It does flow naturally, correct? Yeah, which and, is which is why it works. Yes, because even though it doesn't have uh, that sort that sort of mm-hmm. cl- clear, I, I don't know how to describe it. Goal is goal is a word. I don't know if it's the best word, but let's just use goal for this case. There's no necessarily clear goal, but because we understand the characters and what they want in life, and even if we don't know where they're going, that the events flow from one to the next. Yes. Even though you're not sure where we're actually literally going, yeah. wh- where you might know that from the start for other movies. No, I just want to digress a second and continue explaining the story a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, 
as as Rick is trying to deal with this sort of midlife crisis and realizing he's not a big star in Hollywood anymore, um, Cliff, his stunt double, is played by Brad Pitt, is going around doing his normal daily routine, mm-hmm. and he meets this hippie mm-hmm. chick. Yep. Who we find out later is part of the Manson cult. And so is a bunch of our friends and he eventually gets uh, introduced to that cult. He doesn't join them or anything. He actually goes there just because he used to, the cult was like set up on a old set where they used to shoot bounty law. Yep. And he knew the owner of the whole, the whole lot. And he just wanted to see him say hi or whatever, check how he's doing. And he kind of sensed something was weird going on and, the people, all the, all the hippies and stuff, including the girl he was kind of digging on, they they kind of turned on him a little bit, and he just, like, left and whatever, and he was out of there. And he saw that that wasn't... Something weird was going on. He didn't... He was smart enough to just get the heck out of there. Yeah. And, and with that scene, I've, I've heard the sentiment before, but I and I largely agree with it. Um, Tarantino is doing something he's never really done before, which is emulating Hitchcock, in a way. Because what Hitchcock does is he makes sure that you have all the information that you need exactly when you need to know it. Yeah. And develops a scene or an entire movie that way. And in this Spawn Ranch scene, like mm-hmm. what we know about who owns the ranch, about who's at the ranch, about where people are, about how much Cliff knows, like it, the way this scene progresses is is to a level of master mastery of, of craft and of suspense that Tarantino has never really done before. Like yeah. even in something like the basement scene in Inglorious, like that's that's close to this, but it's not like there's no the 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 physical the physical location and like and physical objects that are at play aren't necessarily the same as they are here. And right. that scene is is probably one of my favorites in the movie in the whole movie. I also want to put in a little sticky note here that uh, there's not only with part of the cliff. Or uh, with Cliff going up to the roof to fix stuff, the scene at Spawn Ranch uh, and his fight with Bruce Lee all are three little bits and pieces to kind of show that he's like a really um, physical person. Yes. Because he, it's, I, all, it's hard. Yes, to, yeah, exactly. And it builds up to the end. Build, and for a reason. It's all foreshadowing. It's yeah. all foreshadowing. But okay, so when he goes up to the, to the roof of Rick Dalton's house to go fix the antenna. Mm-hmm. He kind of free runs it like he does it like parkour. almost. Yeah. he does that. And it's cool. And they had like a little sound effect. It's fun to watch. Um, then when he's at Spawn Ranch, he ends up punching somebody and the punch is really big. And it knocks the guy like straight back. Like His quite feet, a few. Like, come off yeah, the ground. Off the ground. Like, it's it's like, a yeah, giant punch. It's awesome. You also see he holds his own with Bruce Lee. Now, the whole Bruce Lee uh, scene was was my actual biggest draw to this movie because I'm 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 a Tarantino fan but I'm not like a diehard Tarantino fan like I I'm I'm not like clearing my schedule to go see his movie you know I'll go see it on a you know whenever it's convenient for me but I really wanted to see that uh Bruce Lee scene because I thought he was gonna do way more with it I was disappointed. That was probably my biggest disappointment in this was he kind of made Bruce Lee out to be a blowhard and kind of full of himself a little bit and a little bit more of a character than than an actual martial artist. Mm-hmm. Whereas in real life, I feel like Bruce Lee was a lot more of a martial artist and philosopher and uh, 
genuinely good person than he was an actor. And so it was really an opposite take on how Bruce Lee actually was. And I was really disappointed in that. Although the scene was funny where you see him, it's like, it's, it was really disappointing. Um, that's interesting because I didn't really I didn't really notice that I didn't, I don't really know who Bruce Lee was in real life, but I think what Tarantino said was when he was asked about about that scene he said Bruce Lee was kind of an arrogant guy. Uh, he was he was the way oh, he was talking. He says I just didn't make a lot of that up. I heard him say things like that to that effect. He was he could be kind of arrogant when he wanted to be, but overall. Every like his skills were legitimate, right? And it this kind of made it out so it so they they sacrificed the skills of Bruce Lee to build up Brad Pitt. But it's also worth noting that that this all happens in Brad in Cliff Booth's head. Well, no, this isn't a flashback. This it that is, was a this scene. Is a flashback. Well, it, yeah, it was a flashback, but I mean. He didn't in, in ma- his head. Yeah, well, he's, he's yeah, says, you're right, hmm. but it's he, Brad Pitt. It's a memory. Clip says, "Hmm, what? Why did that happen?" And then we go back, and then we see why why he's thinking that, and then he beats up Bruce Lee, and then I we guess. go back, and he's like, "Oh, it, that's, yeah, like that's part of that so, whole thing. Yeah, it's so, all happening in his head." So he fights Bruce Lee. It so, goes so one makes, and so, one. Both of them store a point on each other. Essentially, like they tried to make it so they were pretty even. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, so, but again, they build that scene up where Brad Pitt is, is a really physically intense person and they, he is, he is like almost able to to do any physical feat way more than the average person. He's kind of like, uh, I don't want to say like did the same extent as Captain America or something like that, but he's like that, you know, where he's just like super good at, at, at physical feats. Um, yeah. because I mean, because he's a stump double, that's kind of the and thing. Like his occupation requires somebody like yes. that. And so he lives his life all the time on the edge. Like he's driving fast all the time. He, you know, he just mm-hmm. does, he does that cause he loves that. And that's why he is a stunt double because that's his passion, whether he really states it or not. But so, so his, so I, I, I'm sorry, that kind of was a long tangent here, but, uh, yeah. So the, so you Back to how the story goes. So, meanwhile, uh, Rick Dalton gets a gig with another Western movie. Mm-hmm. He starts out kind of in a rut, but then he kind of gets his act together and he kind of overcomes his own little midlife crisis and realizes, hey, I still have more fight in me. I can do this. And he acts out a, quite a few great scenes that we see, which almost made me think, like, it was almost hearkening back to Django again because it's just, you know, it's Leonardo DiCaprio in a Western, a Tarantino yeah. Western. So it's just, you know, it kind of felt aesthetically the same, but obviously it's different. Um, but it was just uh, a great little moment there I, when he kind of finds himself and finds his center again. Uh, and then also there's all this stuff with Sharon Tate, which she's kind of like a secondary sort of character, you know, but she... Uh, goes into her life and she obviously if if anybody knows about the manson murders like she was killed in her home by members of that cult and uh yeah it wasn't wasn't good but uh, it's hard it's really i i don't know how far we want to explain this here gideon do you want to go into spoilers a little bit i mean i, I feel like I it's been out long need enough to no I, I i think we're fine okay i think well, well, i mean because it's it's still it's still hasn't even come to DVD yet. Yeah, so. that's true. So, 
yeah, so Cheryl Tate's in it. You learn a little bit about her. She's kind of just going through life, enjoying it, because she's kind of on top of the world as one of the biggest actresses in the in Hollywood right now. Yeah. Um, There's this really interesting scene where she where where Sharon Tate goes to a movie own, theater. See your own movie. Goes to see your own movie. Yeah. And it's really interesting because Margot Robbie is playing Sharon she Tate. She looks so much like her when they had her dressed up. Like, you look at the act, because the right, film they the use film in the movie theater is, is a legit the one. Yeah. Which is also interesting because there's another element of, like, intertextuality going on there. Yeah. Um, but but, but man, she's they... watching the movie, so it's it's almost like Margot Robbie is playing Sharon Tate, watching Sharon Tate. So Margot <laughs> Robbie is, like, herself as an actual person, as Margot Robbie, like, giving honor to Sharon Tate by playing Sharon Tate because mm-hmm. Sharon Tate is watching Sharon Tate. And she puts her feet up on the thing and it's all like, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this, this movie kind of did seem a little heavy on the foot fetish stuff, though. Didn't it? A little bit? Well, I mean, that's... I that's, was kind of getting that vibe. That's a Tarantino thing, so... Uh, I don't know. I've never noticed that in any other Tarantino movie so, that I've seen so far. There's other... Yeah, he yeah. does that. Okay. Like, have you seen Kill Bill? No. Yeah. I, okay. I just wanted to make sure Kill it's like, at least a I'd... common theme with him because it struck me because I've never seen, like... Have you seen Pulp Fiction? No. Yeah, he doesn't... Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction too. Too. See, that's the thing, like... I think... I, I haven't seen Death Proof yet. So I'm not sure about that. But I know in Kill Bill, I mean, it's Uma Thurman that happens yeah. in both Kill Bill and Pulp Fiction. But yeah. Yeah. See, I just wasn't sure because most of the Tarantino films I've seen are really heavy on the male characters. And if they have a female character at all, they're very secondary. Inglorious, Django, all that. Like none of that really focuses on the female character that long or that much. Inglorious a little bit more than Django, yeah. but you know what I mean. Uh, but yeah, it just kind of struck me because I had never noticed that in his movies before. I was like, okay, wait a minute, hold on. Maybe I'm maybe I just need to watch his other stuff, you know. And I feel bad for not seeing Pulp Fiction. Kill Bill, I'm not that motivated to see. Pulp Fiction I need to see. I know that. But yeah. So as the story progresses, it just goes more into Cheryl Tate's life a little bit. Rick Dalton goes and does some spaghetti westerns. Um Brad Pitt kind of sticks with him, but he knows that this is kind of the Yeah, the interesting thing about we're getting towards the, towards sort of the end of the movie, but like like it's kind of hard to spoil this movie in some ways and, and really easy to spoil it in other ways. Yeah. Because like a lot of it's just like this is just part of their life. So like this is just a, a life event that happens. So like knowing that going in, it's like that doesn't really change the way you see stuff that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I just wanted to explain just to get to but explain the big the, a little bit of the fight scene. I won't go into who's fighting or what. Besides Brad Pitt's character gets into it. I mean, like a, the fight scene's awesome. It's we, I think it's my favorite fight scene in any Tarantino movie. I mean the the Candy House shootout's pretty good. Yeah, and the music too was awesome. Oh, uh, the music is the almost music, the best part uh, of the fight scene. I'm trying to think of who did that. Keep me hanging on by. Uh, it's it's um, I have I have the soundtrack. I I have that I had that song on my phone. That's the thing. I've had that song on my phone forever. Oh, really? For a long time. So I was like singing along because I knew that song instantly. I'm like, no way he's doing that song because I know how it it starts out real calm. Yeah, it's you, keep me, then, it's you Keep Me Hanging On by Vanilla Fudge. Vanilla Fudge, that's it. Okay, so I just couldn't remember the band name. But yeah, it's such a great song. And I mean, I know how that builds up, you know. You know, it's just, it's the best. And that song's in Mafia 3, which, you know, same time. Same, everything's just like, always, it's such a perfect thing for that period. Uh, perfect song for that period, and it's an amazing thing for that action scene. Yeah, um, this this whole soundtrack, I've listened to this soundtrack probably like 30 times already. Oh, man. 
<laughs> it's so good. I mean, like, I, want it. I mean, it's the perfect soundtrack to listen to, like, in your car mm-hmm. because there's literal radio advertisements yeah. in the soundtrack. So, like, they have awesome, which is awesome because which like, they did in Reservoir Dogs, too. Yeah, if you remember, I, yep. Yeah, I suppose you're right. If you rewatch it, yeah. But like they have like mug root beer advertisement. They have numero uno cologne. <laughs> like it's just Vegamod awesome. High School re- reunion, KHJ Los Angeles weather. Like it's just all this stuff. But th- so then when you're listening to it in the car, it's like you feels like you're actually listening That's to the radio. Awesome, it's just I, so. I cool. wish I wish more of that would happen. You know, you get those classic ads and everything. I love listening to classic advertisements because they're funny. Especially the farther back you go, the better they are. Yeah. Like I love 40s and 50s ads. You know, sometimes you hear like, you know, this bulletin in from the cigarette, like whatever, and they talk about the yeah. health benefits of cigarettes, the health benefits of cigarettes. <laughs> and like stuff like that. It's it's hilarious when they when they brought in like a whole bunch of people just to do like one ad on the radio. It's awesome. Like, hey Timmy, how's it going? It's going great, Dad. Like you know, they get yeah. all these people. Those ads are awesome. That's why I love listening to old time radio too on NPR every once in a while. Because that's got some of those classic ads. But right. I digress. Yeah. Um, let's so get the, to movie, the scores. Yeah, then. let's get to the scores because this this I feel like this one could be a competitor for Dark Knight. It could. Is Dark, Dark Knight still Dark, our highest? It's our correct? highest. It's at ninety five. Ninety five for the Dark Knight. Yeah. Um, our next highest would be. I've, it's almost a perfect. Twelve Angry Men with ninety. Yeah, this I think is going to end up in between there at least. So with, with I literally my only issue with this movie was their portrayal of Bruce Lee. That was it. And Everything I, else I, that, was fantastic. Even that didn't bother me. So yeah, I think I, this is this is a movie that's like gone up for me steadily ever since I first watched it. Because mm-hmm. I think the first time I walked it, watched it, walking out of the theater, I was thinking like eight out of ten, probably mm-hmm. leaning towards nine. Yeah. By the time I had written up my review, I had it at a nine out of ten, and then I watched again, and I think. I was probably about the same after I watched it again, about still at a nine and ten. But, I think you now I've simmer a little now I've gone like towards better. ten out of ten. Like yeah. I'm get like I'm pretty much there. I seldom do I watch a perfect movie, but this one was right up there. I mean, like you know, I think it's like on on the level of like quality, um, and just like as far as innovation and just like objective, like this is it. Mm-hmm. compared to like pulp fiction pulp fiction is probably like as good or probably better but i think i just like this movie more just because it like i like the way it makes me feel more because pulp fiction is just like so dark and it's like it's funny but it's just like there's so much horrible stuff that happens it's like kind of hard to watch like it just <laughs> kind of makes you feel like a little less like a little bit icky inside yep just because of how like how that, like absolutely depraved the stuff that happened here. It's that's like how I no, feel with the boys. I don't know if you've watched that show. I I've heard of it. It's the one I, was like superheroes like that are yeah. sponsored by the government, right? Yeah. yeah. It's that's yeah. By their they're essentially they're run by a company. Okay. But yeah, it, I mean that show holds nothing back. And neither did the comic. The guy who wrote Preacher, the comic for Preacher. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've heard about that show on AMC. I've heard bit. of it, yes. Okay, so the same guy who did that, I can't think of his name right now, did The Boys. The Boys, the dude kind of despises superheroes, and he made this just to, like, get, I, I think he just made it to get the anger out that he has on superheroes. I mean, it's not the first time. It's it's super gory, super sexualized, super everything. Like, so that was the whole point. And the TV show is almost, like, as much as the comics, which is insane. 
because they're on, on Amazon, they don't have to f- do those, you know, requirements. It's a paid pro- page thing and they can do it. And, but uh, that's how I felt with that show. I didn't like that. Um, but uh, like here, there's a there's like a nostalgia there. There's like a he's looking yeah. back at it and almost like he, it, he almost elevates the 60s to like an ethereal plane. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's oh, honestly yeah. he's looking at this like it. this. This is this is above our reality mm-hmm. and that's kind of the whole point of it. like it's 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 elevated yeah the 60s had that aura to it i mean it and really it's like did. and because and watching it you feel like you're involved in that and mm-hmm. it just makes you like makes you feel good rather than bad i mean think like, think about it 60s i mean you got best music of all time best cars of all time some of the best movies of all time uh you know some that's of, qu- the, what's your favorite decade for film just off the cuff what would you say i well all my favorite films tend to be up in the 2000s. I would say... Uh, uh, well, except for... No, well, even... Yeah, I don't know, man. It's tough. I love films. Some of my favorite films are from all over. I mean, like, Goldfinger is probably my favorite from the 60s. 70s is filled with stuff, like, mostly Star Wars. Uh, I think THX 1138 was early 70s. Um, you know, and then you get the 80s, you get the Indiana Jones stuff. Yeah. But 90s, I look, not so much. Okay, but, so I, I would say that... The fifties, because I'm looking. I looked at my favorites the other day, mm-hmm. and compared to eighties, nine or forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, two thousands, I have more from the fifties than I do from any of those decades. I would so I think fifties are my favorite decade, but that's just me. Fifties had great cars too, man. They had uh, my in, in my film, favorite car. Sorry, yeah, I know. Film, I'm just, but I'm yeah. saying in in for great decades, fifties is great too. I mean they. Like I was just gonna say, my favorite car ever was from the fifties, um, but yeah, man, it 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 is. I mean, when you think about it in the sixties, I mean, this, this is like, the end of the day. It's in, it's it's set in nineteen sixty nine too. Yeah, so that plays right in. It. That again plays into the idea that's this thematic through line of this movie. That's another thing when you have this kind of off the cuff sort of following wherever the characters lead you sort of plot. Mm-hmm. The idea that they have this thematic through line of of endings and and and. Yep. And life as far as like the way life flows and the way life moves and ends and starts and the things and events in your life like that through line is throughout the entire movie mm-hmm. and that that's another thing that helps it to sort of flow naturally and to kind of just feel like we're on along for the ride and yeah. that's the thing like if you're not if you're not down for the ride it might be hard like it's a long movie so if you're not clicking three with, hours if you're not clicking with that it might be it might be like feel like okay what am what are we doing here yeah. but like because if the, I think just like I clicked with it, and it's like I'm okay. I'm here. Let's go. And even if you're bored for most of that movie, which I doubt you will be, because I think it's such an amazing movie, that action scene is probably the best Tarantino action scene I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, there's just, I mean, it was it, it was it's, fun. It's, the it's, the but, way it ends too with the right, with right. The no, I, I know, I know, I know fantastic. But I, th- but I think like the thing that makes it so great is not even necessarily like the literal action, what what's happening, but like the setups for what happens. Mm-hmm. Like the setups are what makes it more interesting than than what actually happens itself. Like if you look at at that, take that take the action scene out of the movie entirely, still, good and though. then compare it to Django on Chains, yeah. final action scene. I think I would say that Django on Chains is better. Just if if you take them if you take them out of their respective movies, oh, and compare yeah. them that way. Well, I would probably Django's pick is like Django's. four times longer too, though. It's okay. Yes, it is longer. It's it's and, it's, and there's a lot more. 
Yeah. And this one's less of an action movie, more of a... a no, this is not an action movie. Yeah, it's more of but, a, like but, a character but, movie. Just I'm talking about the final fight scene of yes. Django, yes. But 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 if you take this scene in the context of the movie, I think it probably is better because it has the story beats that, that get set up yeah. ahead of time and, and are paid off in probably like on the level of Captain America wielding the hammer. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely you get that same like giddy I mean, feeling. It's not, it's not the same because Captain America wielding the hammer was set up like twenty movies prior. <laughs> so I think that alone kind of makes yeah. it more awesome. But like it still has that setup, the way that Captain America wielding the hammer was set up. I, yeah. And it's just awesome in I, and of itself. I feel like Endgame was a movie that really rewarded you if you watched all of the movies. Right. And I did before I rewatch I watched them all with my little sister because she hadn't seen them yet. And I was like, and she really wanted to. And I said, Okay, I'll watch them with you. I and we did, and she and she she loved it, and I, and it was cool to to watch it mm-hmm. all of them, and then watch all of them before Endgame, and it was just really great. Yeah. Um, um, all right, let's, so let's, let's get to the let's rating. Get to the scores. Yep. Um, first impression. This is I I'm right on the edge between nine and ten, but I I, I right now I have it as a ten. Um, I have it as like I probably have it too. I don't know if I have it too high or not on my score. Um, but uh, on my list, I have it at like thirty or forty in between in that range, between thirty and forty all time. Um, which I don't know if it's if that's too high or not, but that's I I really do love this movie a lot. Obviously, if it's that high up, um, I would give it a nine. Got? A nine, okay. Yeah, nine out of ten. Just because when I first came out of there, I'm like, man, that scene was amazing. But I, I was just so bummed about the Bruce Lee thing because, like I said, that was the that was why I that went to the theater. You? I that's why I went. Okay, I went because I wanted to see what would Tarantino do with Bruce Lee, and I was really disappointed with that. Yeah, I, I mean, didn't really have any expectation. I mean, I didn't watch the trailers because I, I, I try not to watch. I don't watch trailers for movies that I know I'm going to go see. If you, if you want to see what Bruce Lee is kind of like as a person, he's just a funny guy. I th- Check out when he does the interview when he, or when he's trying out for Green Hornet and he does the interview with these guys in a studio and he's showing off Kung Fu and he's in a suit. And he has like one of these guys. He's like 68 years old. You know, old white executive stand in front of him. All right, so I'm just going to do these tests. He's, he's making the dude flinch every time because he's doing these moves that are so fast. And he's freaking the guy out. He's like, it's all right. I'm not going to hit you. And he just, like, kicks an inch away from the dude's face. Yeah. And he's just so calm and he's getting into it. And the guy is, you know, the guy's super embarrassed because every time he's Bruce is missing him by an inch. But the guy's flinching like a foot. You yeah. know, it's just it's so much fun to watch that. Uh, but yeah, I just have mad respect for Bruce Lee, and I love his movies, especially. And um, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I was disappointed with that, but the rest of that movie, I loved. Okay, I loved it. Um, story, ten out of ten. Okay, easy. I think I'm gonna agree, just because what Tarantino is doing here, thematically, mm-hmm. is, I think, maybe not necessarily better, but like more perceptible than than what he's doing in his other movies mm-hmm. or and maybe perceptible is better because like in pulp fiction something like pulp fiction a lot of what he's saying in that movie is is directly not not that it's directly related to this to the to the structure but it's it solely relies on the structure so like everything that pulp fiction says it's saying through its structure and its structure is like pretty much literally what it is saying here once upon a time in hollywood uses its structure as part of what it's communicating, like I said, about yeah. like the way a life moves and and ebbs and flows, and it and it shows that through through the way it tells the story, but I, like even something like Django Unchained, which doesn't have a very complicated structure, 
and does still say something. It's just not something very deep. It's 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 not as because this kind of takes what Django Unchained did, or even something like Inglorious, like you said before, about how it's changing the past. Like that's that's pretty much the entire meaning of Django Unchained to me is how it's changing the past and getting revenge and like stuff like that. This takes that and and adds another layer to it because it's adding all these things about like the way life changes, the way life life ends, the way we can and looking back into the past and changing stuff and how 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 Tarantino's characters themselves can change things like all of that stuff i mean it's kind of hard to talk about with going into spoilers specifically mm-hmm. but i it's it's there and i felt it and i felt and it's a, and it's 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 not a theme that you can just observe but it's a theme that i felt myself like when i when i when i talk about how like i i felt like joy watching this movie yeah. like that's another part of the theme yeah and 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 it's it's something that you can see and and talk about, it's but also something that you can it, feel in your like yeah. like I it's just so great. Like I I I, yeah. I think it is a great example a of story, of the, story also. Yeah, I think it's a great example of the power of cinema. Yeah, and I mean the he, effect uses, it can he have. uses the camera. In, yeah. The way he uses the camera is is also like he's using the camera to tell the story yeah. by moving it and like in the, the just the way he moves like yeah. the la- just the last shot looking down like just the way it's. He's making the perfect choices. He's doing the exactly correct choices that he needs to make to tell this specific story. Yep. Like he's at the top of his craft more than he has been anywhere. Like like even like Reservoir Dogs is kind of like like in the mud. Like it's 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 mm-hmm. it's it's dirty almost in a way. Like it's it, the filmmaking itself is scrappy. Yeah. Here it's refined. It's he's it's like it's smooth. It's perfect, and that fits the story that he's telling. Yeah. Whereas Reservoir Dogs obviously is something yeah. more scrappy, Tarant- reflect a more scrappy story. And what's great is like Tarantino has clearly pretty much only gotten better as he's gone on. I would say, like his think- his 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 writing has has always been amazing, but I think his his eye for visuals, his way of showing off stuff is just. To the audience is just better. That's interesting. So I think I think he's kind of ebbed and flowed personally, because you go. You I, start well, with, I haven't seen start, every one right, of his right. films. But I you feel start bad. with Reservoir Dogs and you go up to Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. and then after Pulp Fiction you go, I th- you go kind of a little bit down to Kill Bill, and then after Kill Bill I think is Grindhouse, which is most people consider his worst. That's the one that I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen Jackie Brown either. That's on Netflix. I need to watch that like tonight. Jackie Brown is another one, which is some people. That's people have very different opinions yeah. on that. But um, some people say Jackie Brown is his best. Some people say it's his worst. Yeah, it's like I've, all I've, I've heard, I've heard um, mixed. But then you go from I think after Grindhouse is Inglorious. Mm-hmm. So Inglorious, I think is probably better than Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. So that's like those are both peaks. And then I think from Inglorious you go down to Django Unchained. I, I still love Django Unchained, but I think Django Unchained is not as good as Inglorious. And then you go down even for that Hateful Eight, which I still enjoy. I still like Hateful Eight, but it's not as good as Django Unchained or Inglorious. And then you go back up to this huge peak of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I think is my favorite of his right now. I, like it's up and down for him for me. For I I agree. He's got some ups and downs. I think Django's better than Inglorious. Okay. Because one, it's easier to watch. It's not. It doesn't drone on a little bit because I feel like Inglorious, like at points, it's just like, oh my gosh, this is still happening. Like, I don't feel like I that. Feel like I feel like it's yeah. I explained already why I love Inglorious so much. But let's go. But on. but here's what I I think about Django. I think it's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. And even though it's not branded as a comedy, it easily could be because there are so many hilarious scenes in that. And the, like that is Tarantino at his funniest. I think Django and Jane, I would probably put 
probably funnier than Glorious, but Inglorious still has some really funny. Inglorious has some jokes, <laughs> but it's not like noted. Like, I don't. Giorno. Yeah, but I, I mean, I the it's only joke I took away from that one really is like uh, no, and he's like, uh, "We have a bingo. We you know? have a bingo." Yeah, is that how you say it? We have a bingo. It's just it's bingo. just bingo. Yeah. <laughs> Bingo! Yeah, he does it. I love that's Christoph Waltz. So yeah, that's that's I, that's him. Hans I mean, Lange. I love him. Yeah, but uh, no, I think Django is just so funny. I mean, there's so many We're great not scenes. In the every time prisoners every... business. We're in the killing Nazis business. Yeah, well, well, with with Django, I think. I mean, like with the JK case scene. Oh my god, that's yeah, hilarious that's with hilarious. Jonah Hill. Yeah, I mean, that was like his little brief in in there, but it's funny, like. You know they're trying to figure out how to ride horses with the with the bags yeah, on, and they, you know some of the eye holes are real small, and like you know <laughs> Who like made these, yeah. Uh, Willard's wife, wife. will make your own bags. <laughs> you know, hey, all right, we all admit bags could have been done better. Bags could have done ne- better. Next time we'll do them right, and then we go full regalia. Like it's <laughs> there's so many great lines like that, or um, you know when they're walking up to the one place, the the when they're hunting for the first three guys, the People that Django could identify. That was why you know Christoph Waltz's character took him in because he could find those three dudes, the um the brothers. I can't think of their names. Uh, but when they go there, he's like, uh, the the plantation owner is about to kick them off the land. Uh, you know, Monsieur, I have four thousand reasons why, <laughs> or why you should say yes. <laughs> You know, and it's just funny. Well, come on in then. You know, he's super friendly and he's yeah. just greedy. And I, there's so many good jokes in that movie. And it's witty. And that's why I think it's better than Inglorious. I like Inglorious. But actually, I was going to ask you, do you think Inglorious and uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are in the same universe? What if What if all of Tarantino's, like, that's been posited, alternate history that's been posited. ones? No, he, it's been posited that all of his movies are in the same universe because... He has like the big Kahuna, I think, is in salt in multiple movies, um, which is a thing from Pulp Fiction. Um, there's just, there's there's I forget what the other one Jack Rabbit Slims maybe it might be another I'm not exactly sure, but he does have recurring like brands and stuff that that show up in multiple movies. I just would like the idea that maybe <laughs> what's uh, Brad Pitt's character called in Inglorious? What's his name? Uh. I can't remember. It'd just be funny if Lieutenant. That, uh, shoot. Um, I just think it'd be funny if that was like Brad Pitt. If if that was Cliff Booth's like dad or something. That would be weird. Yeah. It's just and then you know like uh, Rick Dalton's like the long lost, uh, you know, nephew or cousin to to uh, Calvin to Candy. The, to the terrible slave. Owner. Yeah, to Calvin Candy. I don't know. It'd just be funny if there was like connections because you know now finally Tarantino's put those guys both in the same movie. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. What's uh, so? But that's another thing that's so great about this movie is that you get to watch Leonardo DiCaprio and, and Brad, Brad Pitt. Pitt and Margot Robbie and, and Margot Robbie. I'll just be awesome. All interact with each other and I'll be like the most beautiful people on the planet. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's great. It's the first time Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio have ever worked together in the same movie. Right. Unreal. I can't believe it's taken them this long to do that. You would think like that just seems so like oh of course these are two giant stars in Hollywood. Let's put yeah. them together. Uh, what's well, it's, the ne- it's, kind what's- of, it's kind of the same thing with uh, like uh, Pacino and De Niro, yeah. who would always—I mean, they were in the, they were both in the Godfather Part Two, but they didn't actually share any scenes, scenes together. But then they come to Heat, and then they're finally yeah. together, and it's epic. What's the next thing we got to rate here? Uh, acting. Oh, ten out of ten. I know. Uh, like, I I I just I I th- well, you know what? I don't blame the the guy who played Bruce Lee's character for acting the way that Tarantino wanted him to. 
So I guess I'd give it a 10 out of 10 because everybody acted perfectly and I wasn't taken out of the movie at all. Yeah, I think there. I think this might be Leonardo DiCaprio's best performance. Mm, I, I would probably agree with that. Like, well, honest, I like don't honestly. Know. Calvin Candy is hard to beat, man. That's one of the best. It's it's definitely better than that I, for me. I think the he's really great in The Revenant. Like, yeah. really, really, really great in The Revenant. Um, but I can't. He's good in The Departed. He wasn't even nominated for that role, I don't think, though. Yeah, Titanic, but, he was in. Titanic. That was a big one. Um, I don't know. I, but he's, I, he is uh, amazing, Wolf of though. Wall Street. I, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, he's good. but I, And that's the one where he worked with Margot Robbie. He did work with Margot Robbie. As is, um, so is this like the second time he's done that, or has he done that more? I think this is, yeah, I think this would be the only, only the second. Okay. But, like, yeah, I think he's better than he is in Wolf of Wall Street. Like he's yeah, he's, he's, better do, than he's, he's, he's Wolf doing Wall that Street. so many levels here. Yeah, like he's like he's a character. You think he's just a washed up actor, but there's yeah. so much more to that than that. And you get all of that from a lot of it's from his performance. And he, and he's he's an actor able to play an actor doing bad acting, and then he's an actor able to play an actor doing good acting. Right to I mean, like, like actually be able to and, like turn and switch your skills. On a dime. Like yeah, that, 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 he yes, can exactly. turn down his skills so. F- Finitely, I, it's, that it's insanity. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a it's level insanity. that insanity. Yeah, like it's it's almost I perfection. I, I, I give it a ten out of ten. Great it is. Yeah. I give it a ten out of ten with that thing. Right. So, yeah. What do you ten out of ten for you? Yeah. All right. I mean, got one more category. I mean, and I would say probably like for them, the, the Leonardo DiCaprio is the best performance of the year for me. Mm, I agree. Brad Pitt is probably the best supporting performance of the year for me. Yeah. De- depends on whether you consider like anybody from Endgame, like Re- Robert Downey Jr. You could consider him a, re- a supporting role just because there's so many c- people in that. But like Brad Pitt's probably the best performance this year. Margot Robbie probably uh, best supporting actress this year. I don't know. I feel like there'd be. I'm, I I I don't know. I didn't feel like Margot Robbie was that big of a role, and I didn't think her supporting pro- a- supporting. Actress. I know, I know, she's a supporting actress, but I'm just saying, like, I I got more of an impression from the girl. The hippie girl than I did from hmm. Margot Robbie, and the hippie girl had a lot more screen time. Like if anybody's gonna be did supporting, she? yeah, yeah. If anybody's gonna be su- big supporting actress, it's gonna be that hippie girl. I not... suppose I'm talking about. I think I think they all three of those: Margot Robbie, Brad Pitt, and Leonardo DiCaprio. I think Leonardo DiCaprio should all be nominated. I think you already had the in those categories. The, the like you know, uh, uh, with with Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, you already had like the Gordon Ramsay level amazing cake, and then Margot Robbie was just like the cherry on top, like it took something that was pretty much pretty much already perfect and then you just added a little more but it definitely like if you if I, I don't know but i still think she did a really good job acting i didn't have any issues with it so i still give it a 10 out of 10 but i think it would be the hippie girl if anything is going to be best supporting actress yeah if somebody I, if somebody was nominated she's from this not movie, gonna get nominated which though. is a bummer but if anyone gets nominated it'll be margot robbie yeah. just because she's a name yep um, i know but that's how that's hollywood i i personally think that margot robbie probably deserves it more Either, I, I, I really way. connected to her like as a character, mm-hmm. the way she portrays someone who who died in real life, and, yeah. the, and the level of respect and the way that she kind of yeah. she, maneuvers she that well. that, partic- that possibly sort of dicey situation. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's just handled with real care, and like it's just like I I loved every little bit of it. Yep. All um, right. So look and feel is the next category. Oh, I have no issues. Which is like ten and ten. Like I don't. Cars. It's like the, the I mean, the cars of, were spot on. Visuals were spot on. No, I like love that, the amp. That's, it's that's got the like thing. a that's yellow glow to it. He he recreates 1969. He mm-hmm. does it like it's like he literally took a time machine and went back and re- and filmed in 1969. That's how insane the level of detail is here. Like 
that and that's and that's what part of what makes the movie work so well. Like, he knows exactly what this time period was like. He took a camera, he redid it, and he went back there and he filmed it. Like, like, I don't even know how it's possible that he did it, but Tarantino did it. Yeah. And, you know, actually, now that I think about it, one thing I found myself— And the music is a part of that, too. Music was spot on. But, you know, I'm a big car guy. I've brought it up multiple times already on this episode alone. But I just want to say, I found myself in this movie— looking at all these because i mean he he also nailed like the the rich rich guy car ratio in california because in, <laughs> in, if you go to hollywood there's people driving around in ferraris and bentleys and and everything you could imagine and in the 60s it wasn't any different really they, that was where all the you know the rich people had all their amazing cool cars i was looking in the background parked on the sides of these streets you know jaguar e-types and ferraris and you know you get a little bit of everything uh porsches uh all these I mean, it's just, it was gorgeous. And I mean, it's one thing to hit like the, you know, the sedans, the Cadillacs, whatever from the 60s, all those big cars with big fins and chrome. And I love that. But then to also remember, hey, these guys are movie stars. They're millionaires or, you know, making six figures at least, you know, because of the 60s inflation, whatever. So they're making at least six figures, maybe seven. Uh, these guys are going to have these amazing cars. So let's throw them in. So he... He did it. He did the research. He found the cars. He did that. I had a blast just watching the cars. Well, yeah, that's that's the thing that a lot of people, <laughs> that I've heard a lot of people complaining about. They're saying there's too much driving in this movie. Like there's like probably they, I've heard people say there's like five minutes of literally just Brad Pitt driving in a car. And I'm like, I'm like yeah, get over it. That's what yes, I say to that person. It's a three hour movie. That yes, that's <laughs> true. But first, second. He's also listening to music, so you've got that that uh, that element going on. But like, and I just also I just love watching it. It's also like it's Brad Pitt driving a car, listening to sing, like and it's, he's, it's he's part of the look and feel of the movie. He's like flooring the, it, he's and, flooring right. the car, well, and, and, and he's, he's and a lot got of his movie, little a lot of the movie is just like experiencing the the life of of that character and like watching his day play out, mm-hmm. like the yeah. day in this life of this character, and and part of that is just like experiencing that along with it. And I understand if you're not going to be down for that, yeah. if you're not down for watching that play out, but I, I was like, I, this is awesome. I love this. Let's just keep Let's, let's live in this world. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing. Like I, you just love, I like a movie that can put me into a world and allow me to live there. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a problem that I had. There was an, a recent example of this where it's like I I want to I want to be here longer like just let me exist like just let me let me observe this place like that was Golden Compass for me even though that movie isn't good that was that was how I felt with Golden yeah. Compass and with Ready Player One Ready Player One I wanted that movie to go on forever yeah but it's the sort of thing where it's like he allows the shots to develop like something like 2001 A Space Odyssey does the same thing mm-hmm. where it's like you have a shot. And Stanley Kubrick holds on the shot and allows you to take it in and make sure that you've gotten literally everything you can get from it, which is why he holds shots for 10 seconds or longer or whatever. And then after you've observed it, he allows you to keep like taking it and, yep. be, and, and live in the world. And because living in the world is an integral part of like what that movie is. And it's an integral part of, of what Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is as well. And I, yeah. I, I just love that about this. And it's just, uh, yeah. So is that that's our last category, right? Uh, effect is the last category. So, like, what did it make you feel? What did it make you think? Mm. How did you? How did? How did it make you? Sort of, you I know. I, uh, yeah. It's. I like. Did it make you laugh? Did it make yeah. you cry? I laughed. I I didn't cry, but I I <laughs> laughed definitely at a, a, a few of the jokes. The, what I liked about this one is just like Django, like when he's dropping a joke, it lands and it's funny. Yeah. Um. 
I'm trying to think of any jokes that like fall flat in this movie. No, no. I, None I, of them fall flat. They just might not be like laugh out loud necessarily. Yeah. L- laugh out loud moments or like, th- but a lot of them aren't intended to be that. And the ones that don't I'm do to, that necessarily, I wouldn't consider like they fall flat. They're just part of the world. Um, also, another actor we kind of forgot to say who kind of shows up for just there's a, little, a ton of actors a little in this. bit. Um, but uh, from from Hateful Eight and Kurt Russell, Kurt shows Russell. Up. For um, Russell, another one of Tarantino's favorites. Now it's like he's he put pretty much all his favorites into this movie. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Kurt Russell's in it for like five seconds because he's like the director of the of Green Hornet or producer. He's one somebody high up in Green Hornet, which is great. Well, freaking Al, Al Pacino's in this movie too. Who's he play? I don't he's remember the, Al Pacino. Al Pacino's oh, the guy. Is he the, the, the executive at the very beginning? At the beginning, he tells him he's yeah. kind of washed up. That's right. That is. Al Pacino's in this movie. Yeah, it's it's so and you know you they're just in it like he doesn't make it like this giant thing. But the killing, I love the killing. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's great. Oh, wow. Uh, I'd say for a fact, I wish I I would say like a nine point five or something, but I can't do a point five. Can yeah. I? I think I'm gonna go nine. Yeah, like, I'm, I, I, it's not quite to the level of 10 because I feel like 10 is like a euphoric experience. Yeah, I think 9 as well. Um, which this isn't quite that for me. Yeah. Um, but it still is a really it great time. It was fantastic, time. though. Um, and I can't, I, I've seen this twice now. I can't wait to watch it the I third need time. To, I need to rewatch it. Um, I want to. So that should put us at 97. 97. <laughs> I was doing the numbers in my head. That's our new top movie. It Dude, beat Dark Knight. I, I'm a little bit surprised it's this high, honestly. But like, I, I well, if it wasn't for me, if I was just dropping tens, I would have been a 99. Well, that's the thing, though. I kind of feel bad about dropping tens all over the place, but at no. the same time, it's kind of it like deserves them. I it think deserves about them, it, and it's them. like, just I think part of it might be just the way that our that our that our system works, just the way that the categories kind of, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. But um, I mean, but because I mean, like it's like rate. just the same thing with Rotten Tomatoes. Like a lot of people complain about how Rotten Tomatoes, but it's like Rotten Tomatoes is you can have a hundred people give six out of tens, and the movie has a hundred percent of Rotten Tomatoes. Like that's the way. Like Rotten Tomatoes. I but I never trust Rotten Tomatoes. I never trust any of those. But I'm just saying it's 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 not necessarily a, numbers aren't necessarily a true reflection on people's mm-hmm. experiences of movies. Yeah. A lot of times it's just the system. So I'm thinking I'm looking at it and saying ten, 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 nine. Like the scores, the literal numbers that I give it. And I'm thinking about like the way that I actually feel. I'm like, do I really love this movie th- like to that it's, level? It's, it's hard to tell. And I, and I, but like I do love it. So, mm-hmm. so I think to a, s- a certain extent, it doesn't matter what number I give it. Like if you disagree, you're gonna disagree. Okay. If you don't yeah, like fine. it, you don't like it. You, you know, this is just our numbers, our script to screen numbers. But I think what you're saying, the difference is between us and like just some random number thing, like on Rotten Tomatoes. We actually explain like why we're giving it the numbers. We kind of go into it a little right, bit, right? Which is why which R- I like Rotten that. Tomatoes is is sort of like a, it's a it's a binary, mm-hmm. so it's it's either a one or a zero. Yep. And then you get that into the into the system, and and it averages them out. The whole thing doesn't necessarily reflect, does can't reflect the in opinion of any individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but the thing that I like about Rotten Tomatoes is that you can kind of get a general sense of where the critical mass is at, but then you can also scroll down and actually click on individual reviews. Yeah. Which is, which is that's very helpful. Real which is the is. probably which is what people don't realize, but that's the be- that's the most helpful part of Rotten Tomatoes yeah. is you can they actually have links to actual mm-hmm. reviews. Yep. Rotten Tomatoes itself is not actually a review, which yeah. is what people don't understand. Yeah, I don't I don't like when they advertise like f- certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes like that doesn't mean much to me. 
you know, like I'll watch, you know, whatever. I'll watch this movie or don't watch it if it doesn't look good to me, if it doesn't intrigue me. But all right, so ninety-seven out of a hundred. Yeah, ninety-seven wow. out of hundred. It's our new script-to-screen n- highest rating it, it is ever. The, the king right now of script-to-screens right rating. Now. That's insane. First, it, it, first show of the year. First show of the year. It's starting out with a bang. So, yeah. I mean, I wanted to start us off with probably my favorite movie that came out over the summer. Right. That was my That's big my one, and I was most hyped about sure. it. Yeah. Uh, but there's going to be a lot more to come here, folks. You're listening to 90.3 WRST FM Oshkosh. Thanks for tuning in to Script to Screen. See you next week.